dealing with the fundamentals of our <coughs> experience and what we intimately experience ourselves as being or being associated with or you know, being affected by somehow as a bodily energy mm. so it uh, continually informs the body literally forms it, how it's, how it's sensed, how it feels and informs it this is saying, this is pressure yes, standing up, pressure supposed to be on the feet this kind of thing, it doesn't feel quite solid enough so you tense up a little bit feels too tight, we loosen up a little bit so this is the bodily formation, it's kaya sankara and this is something that when we practice uh, breathing, mindfulness of breathing, that very um, bodily energy associated with breathing out steadies, calms, unifies the body energy so something that begins to relax, soften, open find its balance, align itself energetically and the (coughs) energy or function of thought, energetic function of thinking and conceiving which is helps us to define what we're doing, what we need to do Mm. sharp puts edges around things So this is called Vajji Sankara, the formation, the energetic formation of speech, actually. Um, so speech and thought are interconnected. As we recognize we th- our thoughts seem to be an inner voice, or several inner voices, chattering, mumbling, groaning, rejoicing, or whatever. So so it's called the speech formation because it informs how we speak and is affected by how we speak how we speak affects how we think what is said to us, what terms, what concepts are introduced verbally affect how we think what words we read affect how we think so this is a big area for us as to what we need to talk about and uh, what we read so on because we're in a very verbal culture, literate culture not, it's always, not always spoken but a lot of it is written down so you begin to find the language you're using <coughs> you know, certain concepts become more and more predominant and certain concepts tend to fade out faith, joy, you don't see these words written much in the daily mirror <laughs> or purity or <laughs> dispassion it's, it's all power um, and so forth, violence and so you eventually you start to think in those terms or people think in those terms <coughs> so, mm, so in a way what we conceive is like that, that forms the net that catches experience so it's almost like you've got these words you know recollections in mind and then you you start to scoop up what fits in with that so if you start to think in terms of you know um, um, violence or whatever you see the things that are violent you start to think in terms of um, things being wrong you see the things that are wrong you know so it very much is it like the um, the kind of find code on a computer you look for things that are wrong and you see them you know because that's what you it determines where your attention goes so it's important to recognize how one's thinking start to introduce as we do daily recollections to enable us to look at handle and and trawl and find experience in those terms Mm. this is very important because these what we, the way we think and the way we conceive you know, is what brings to mind particular images and perceptions that then affect the heart 
So you get the emotional effect. As you know, you know, you hear something about wars and famines and violence and tragedies and disasters and rape and atrocity and oh, oh dear. So terrible, you know. It's not that those things aren't there, but you know, we can be can keep it introduced in that particular way. You know. And this is what propaganda's about and publicity and you know George Orwell's novel nineteen eighty four was based a lot on just forming a language that eliminated concepts like freedom from people's ways of conceiving anything. So eventually your heart gets programmed because it's only the thought faculty, you know, cuts out or, or retrieves particular perceptions that then affect the heart. Yeah. So the heart faculty this is the chitta sankara, the heart energy, is what we're affected by, what we're moved by. So, and some of that will be you know, perceptions that come through the eye, what we see, other people, what people are doing, big big thing for us. You know, what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we taste. Perceptual material arise from that. This is warm, this is friendly, this is peaceful, this is harsh, this is whatever, you know, and that affects, particular emotional effect occurs there. This is noble, this is, this is grand, this is pure, mm. this is noble behavior. Mm. This is conscientious and so forth. So you get you know, important to be able to look at you know Buddhist monastic life through the right lenses. You know, is this noble? Is this uh, furthering? Is this pure? And we put aside other concepts. Like, is it fun? <laughs> <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> is it powerful? Is it progressive? Is it dynamic? Um, <laughs> it doesn't come out looking so well on those concepts. Is it pure? Is it is it um, steadying? Is it noble? You know, is it renunciant? Is it clarifying? Oh, yeah. That's what we can look for. And then those are actually when you you adjust your your taste buds to those flavours. Those flavors in the heart are very, very lovely flavors. Taste, inspiring. That's why we live this particular life. It's not the same sort of sticky, spicy stuff of more worldly dhammas, but it's a, it's a very, because it doesn't cling, it doesn't cloy. It's brightening, clarifying, leading to dispassion, leading to nibbana. So, you know, recollections and ways of conceiving and what we talk about it really helps when one retreat and we can talk in these ways and think in these ways more, in a more um, full-on way. So, Chitta Sankara is uh, what's called in the scripts, in the scriptures, the mental formation. The translation is often the mental formation. I'm calling it heart, just um, to give perhaps a uh, you know, chitta is translated in either way, and neither word exactly fits. But sometimes heart seems to be a bit more useful. So our affective experiences. Chitta sankara is how am I? Any particular moments that tingle of how I am. And it's affected or conditioned by perceptions, that particular meanings, values. What something means to me. And feeling. Physical feeling and mental feeling. Mental feeling is 
derived from perception. So, see a dog, and perceive dog as friendly, cuddly, loyal, obedient, trusting. Well, those are perceptions, mental perceptions. Feel good, feel happy, feel pleased. See the dog. Dog snarls. Whoops, different set of perceptions. Dangerous, savage, rabid, canine. Uh, And, you know, unpleasant feeling. So, what is it? As a Jitta Sankara is the emotive effect, it doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily, it's not giving us a, an accurate um, description of what's there, it's describing how, we, how we're moved. And so, as we be aware of that, we can use it, but also it's how I am, it's not what something is, and it's not what I am. Now language tends to blur it, like, I am sad. No, I'm not sad. I'm feeling sad. <laughs> but, you know, when we think like that, I am sad, then it becomes like a, somehow a permanent statement. I am unhappy, I am depressed, I am bright, I am this, that, and the other. No, you're not. You're feeling it. That's, that's, the, that's the effect of this particular moment. You may sound like, well, yeah. But it's important to even just get one's language a little bit clearer so that we don't infect ourselves with a sense of stuck. You know, stuck in this. Or, well, this is it, you know, I've got it. I'm in joy, this is me, you know. My true nature, something like that. Because then those, those are sources of stress and suffering, holding on. Jitta Sankara. Jitta is is affected, or its general. Um, while it's still unliberated, it, it it's it is the sense of me. That's what it's. So Jitta Sankara is how I am. Jitta is the sense of the sense of me, the sense of I, my subjective sense of being something, and it so. It, because we can never really find what it is, it's continually you know, searching for something to be. So it tends to stick to the citta sankara. Mm. I am a happy person. I am a you know wise person. I'm this or that or the other. So it's a it's occluded. Citta is occluded by ignorance. Um, and why this is such an important area, this area of citta, is that citta is that which can be liberated. It can be a liberation of that from the sense of I am, this is me. Mm. And this um, is primarily the other sankara, the bodily and the mental, are there to support the freeing up of the heart, freeing up of citta. So this really is the most important area. Um, and we do do that through first healing or bringing it the, so that there's a good effect or pleasing effect, an agreeable effect in a particular way. It's not sensual or worldly, but there's a particular brightening effect of the heart energy. The heart energy is brightened, steadied, calmed, made abundant, made joyful, clarified. So it's a, it's a very, it's a lovely, beautiful feeling uh, and perception there, mood tone. And then because this, this means that the whole area is then much more soft and relaxed. It's not so jagged, it's not so impacted and tight and defended. You know, it's something that's kind of, you can then investigate and um, see through that. Hmm. So the, often the image I've seen Venerable uh, Tunisaro use is that saying, you know, when a person is hungry and cold, they don't listen to much reason, because they're sitting too tight in a state. So if you, if you feed them, so they feel full and happy, then you can sit down and talk to them because they're much more 
reasonable balanced state of mind so this is what we do in this sense we try to bring the chitta sankara to a state where we feel some sense of oh I feel feeling okay I feel alright and then it's like we become more reasonable or more insightful So this area of cultivating the citta-sankhara, cultivating the heart energy, mm. and this is derived from perception, and we might say there are perceptions, external perceptions, so for example, um, you know, quiet, um, silent, soft, spacious, clear. These are some of the tones of a meditation retreat, general tones that we um, encourage in in the monastic life, the whole life. Uh, Particularly on retreat, we get a chance to heighten and and, uh, support those with a more, you know, with an external appearance that's a lot more conducive um, for that heart effect. So just to consider some of these so that we can, if you like, get our vitakavichara conceiving, our ways of what we attend to, for example, just this hall, this spaciousness, plenty of room. There's a sense of subdued light, it's soft, it's not harsh. There's a very lovely Buddha image representing that which we all hold dear and aspire to. The Buddha image itself is a a very smoothly featured, smiling, bright, unstressed um, appearance. And there's a light on it, you know, it's a spotlight saying, look at this. You know, so just to be able to rest the eyes on it and take in that perception uh, is, you know, it's not saying anything about myself as such, but it's just just actually drinking in a perception like that until one begins to feel the sense of, oh yeah, lovely, and just get that sense of of um, inspiration, not an intellectual experience, but more like just a pure emotive experience coming from a visual perception. Like that. Mm. So, speech here is either we're keeping silence for considerable portions of the day, and depending on what you know one needs to say, there are times when things can be talked about and we're keeping that down to minimum and trying to also speak in a friendly um, patient not sharp or harsh or intrusive way and just how loud do you need to speak and where do you need to speak just thinking of these things because speaking affects goes directly to the Vajji Sankara introduces certain concepts certain ways of looking at life into the mind, yeah. and the way it's pre- the way it's presented, also has definitely has got a tone, an effect that um, you know, affects the heart directly. So being quite careful about that. There are three signs, or subtle signs, if you like that uh, I talked a little bit about, but I talk some more um, that conduce to uh, the right or the, the most helpful tonality of heart that give rise to gladness and mature into into piti sukha, rapture, joy, and ease or well-being, comfort. 
and spaciousness, clarity, and connect connection, empathy. He's bringing these terms into mind, these concepts, spaciousness, clarity, and sense of empathy. Spaciousness means there's room, things are, we're not tight, we're not pressed in, it's not rigid, it's not hurried, there's not a continual bombardment of sharp, visual, auditory, tactile impressions, so we don't feel tightened up to brace ourselves or defend ourselves or get going or hurry up, you know. So, you know, just in this particular form, you know, having there's uh, you know, the minimal duties and then the silence, and then having uh, when we have group practice, which we have for the purposes of, of some connectedness, and for other purposes, which I'll talk about. Still, there's quite a lot of you know, it's about eight hours a day for some people doing that out of 24. So, you know, okay, there's a meal, but really, you know, everybody must have at least 10 hours or so of, you know, well, <laughs> sleep for some of it, sure, have a wash, you know, and so on, but it's hardly, you know, jam-packed. So, and then we have to kind of contemplate that and, and actually be responsible for it, so that you don't fill up the spaciousness with things we're doing, things we feel we've got to do, structures, forms, concepts, projects, business, da 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 da. You know, taking responsibility to, you know, a certain amount of spaciousness is, is offered, and it's quite a rare commodity in this life, the human life in the West. Take responsibility, you know, bring that, that very concept into mind as something that's like a presentation, like a little gift from the Buddha. And because it's not a you know, sharp or strongly tinged thing, it's not like colour or sound or something happening, it's a kind of absence, we can miss it. So then so we get into the habit, perhaps, of you know, the energy that fills things up. Because that's in a way what the worldly conditioning tells us to do. It says have some more sense impact um, and then get things done, go on to the next bit. Mm. So you've got this kind of default mechanism which is not geared to Nibbana. So we have to take responsibility and you know, let, the, let the space be open. You know. Let there be bits that aren't quite known yet. Let the future be a little bit unknown. We don't have to work out you know, June, July, August and so forth. These kinds of things. I mean, this is quite difficult for me because people are always asking me to do this. <laughs> not, not in this community. I'm not trying to be negative. But, you know, the way that Dhamma centers and things work is that you want to know, well, you, you know, can you do this in June? Where will you be in July? And, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's just. I'd like to not have to think in those terms. Just, you know, just to leave it like that. Because this is a precious commodity, spaciousness. And you know, one's prepared to sacrifice things like convenience and efficiency and and all that because this is such a rare and very valuable um, quality because in that there is a sense of the heart relaxes it's, it's open, it's much more sensitive when it's not jam-packed and bristling with activities so you get finer, more gentle more receptive 
more clear about what we're doing because you're getting much clearer readings of what's really happening and then one can steer oneself a lot more skillfully Spaciousness also means, I would suggest, in what we might say external terms, is uh, even when we do talk things over, leaving those spaces for suggestion and then think. So it's not, well, let's wait, clear about this, see what happens. You know, you don't have to have the immediate answer. Um, find that actually, to my mind, the, the most truthful immediate response to most everything is I don't know right now <laughs> that to me is the only, only truthful statement about everything doesn't mean I permanently don't know or don't want to know it just means right now I don't know because you, you just asked me so it takes a little while for something to happen you know. uh, so I don't know and sometimes that I don't know goes on for quite a while um, and uh, it can cause a considerable amount of agitation <laughs> when you want certainty but really, I don't know I haven't got it you know. and being able to practice that with oneself so we don't jump to conclusions either about what we need and where we're going and how good our practice is and so really right now probably I don't know is the most accurate general <laughs> statement, some good, some bad, we'll see how it is. So and that gives us some freedom, doesn't it? Don't have to have it all figured and answered and you know, some freedom there to sense it out, feel it more accurately and stay with it. So that tendency that wants to lock into permanence and hard edges and certainty and absolute and right on and that is a um, a hindrance to the joyfulness of, of heart, to heart qualities. And yet one can be clear, say, I'm very clear, I can clearly say I don't know. That's very clear to me. The sense of not knowing is crystal clear. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, so it doesn't deny clarity. Inwardly, spaciousness is uh, affected by um, we say internal business. This is where the discursive thought particularly is something to let subside, gently subside, or deliberately push it away or find skillful means to unravel it or trip it up and there's various ways and means we can begin to tackle the torrent of discursive thought to deliberately pick up a, a, a concept and handle it slowly regularly you know think it through carefully slow the thinking down when a thought is running around, just question what's happening here? Here I'm going on about this, that and the other, what's really happening? You know, you know, it's contacting the heart energy that the thought is riding on. What's really happening? Oh, this is, this is, this is irritation. Oh, this is anxiety. Or oh, this spell of blah, 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 blah. Is this and that and this and that and this and that and that and that and that Well, that's anxiety. So, you know, when you question the thought process and you go to the heart energy underneath it, then it gives a much simpler, clearer take. You know, instead of having a hundred or concepts to deal with, you just come down to one. So this is a way of skillful manasikara handling, you know, wise attention that gets to the heart of the matter. So then we train and cultivate and shape the conceiving faculty 
into something that gets to the point so that you're not carrying a whole load of extra baggage it's rather like you know you can count uh, you know if you want to take the leaves off the tree or get the leaves off a tree you can either go and pick every leaf off or you can just cut through the base of the tree so getting to the point uh, or it's this this is what I need to deal with not him and her and July and what and so but just oh this is anxiety or this is irritation or or whatever it is mm. not always negative of course so we get to that and then we can contemplate how that is happening how it feels how we sense that our resistances to that our wanting it our rejoicing in it our difficulties with that so you know, we that correct cultivation leads both to sense of some space because then instead of all the reactions there's a witnessing instead of all the reactions and the complexities of just the pure witnessing of oh this is this is anxiety or this is sadness and then first of all we don't know what to do with that because we always feel we should do something about it so the next stage is purifying the witnessing okay, to well, step back from the edge of that a little bit don't get so intensely gripped by it can you just step back from that that sense give it some more space so we can begin to once we have spaciousness there we can begin to handle heart energy in a much more adroit and useful way Um, so obviously pruning and shaping the thought faculty of Vajisankara is a skill and a helpful one I would just say that it it isn't always the case that just just stopping everything creates spaciousness you know, stopping thinking doesn't necessarily by itself create spaciousness because it can by doing that we can take away the tools of inquiry you know, so we just kind of stop thinking oh that's it, no more to deal with then we can descend into the currents of the heart you know, which can be still welling up it doesn't mean that's the end of the business by any means and maybe we're not having any thoughts about it but also we don't necessarily have the, the skills of inquiring and investigating it so you be careful just about not some kind of take an ideological position to just stop thinking it can be means becoming stupid or, or numb you know um, just bear that in mind it's not necessarily the case because when the if there is skill there then through the um, the thought conception can subside it can it subsides dependent on the quality of piti sukha so it's not like you stop everything thinking and then get happy what happens is you you you're, you refine and purify and skillfully use the thinking faculty to clear and to allow piti sukha to arise and then the thinking subsides by itself you don't need that you have the a deeper sensitivity to steer by so that the Vitaka Vichara you know, in the cultivation that the Buddha described doesn't actually cease until there is this uh, welling up or this steadiness of heart of Piti Sukha 
even when you know the pity itself is is managed to the level where it just can ease. So just to bear that in mind, it's all right to think. Do so skillfully. Use turn it into dhamma vijaya inquiry. What's happening? Who is thinking? Why am I thinking this? Is this skillful? Is this the right? And where's it coming from? Mm. And we might keep dipping into um, inspiration, gratitude, loving kindness, irritation, sadness, or whatever it is, and then touching those heart energies. So, this is the function of clarity. And it works in with spaciousness, it's not really separate, but it's another aspect. Um, there's the time, there's the room, there's the openness, there's the non-busyness. And then such activity that is there is inclining towards establishing clarity. How is it? You know, really get that. Is this... You know, Externally, clarity providing by using lines in a day, standards, forms, say, well, it's seven o'clock, we do this, it's eight o'clock, we do this, and trying to keep those, working with those. Sometimes it means, you know, giving up something, letting go of something, adjusting one's rhythms and flows for the sake of clarity. Um, And it's not, you know, that's what it's about. It's for one's benefit, really. This is not kind of like a military thing, but it's a craft, and craftsmanship requires some sense of clarity to do it. It's not a hack job. Clarity about the use of the requisites, the purpose, the aim, and being able to um, bit more sharp about what one needs. Internally, clarity is provided through the skillful use of vitaka vichara, um, through mindfulness. So mindfulness and clear comprehension are rather similar to vitaka vichara. Um, but mindfulness, there's a larger thing. So, vitaka vichara or thought conception and evaluation can act as agents of mindfulness. They can also act as agents of delusion, <laughs> as we all recognize. So, but when they're mastered with mindfulness, then they act as, as agents of mindfulness. They make us clear about a particular point. And there's something steadying about that. And this is all very helpful for a contemplative. Mm. So we can give up the options and the possibilities just because all that um, choosing makes things blurred, you know, even though, yeah, it could be a bit softer or a bit sweeter or a bit warmer or a bit funnier, but actually. I still not that kind of wriggling around with options. Just I'd sooner just keep it straight and work with that, adapt to that. So then the heart is encouraged towards um, nobility, is it? upright nobility, and uh, so we we give up. say, some, some of the comforts and conveniences for the sake of clarity, and that's noble. Mm. So, so just, so just to acknowledge in yourself your nobility. It's a word that, again, is rarely used, apart from for, you know, rather ignoble aristocrats who don't actually <laughs> come up to the standard at all. But it, it, it's something that's the 
you know, is a use, particularly in associating with samana, in this term. Yeah. And so that in one which is the samana, that quality has an ability to it. Mm-hmm. It's renunciant, is purity rather than gain. Mm-hmm. And as much as it's an ideal, then really acknowledge this in yourself. And don't again it's something to be treasured rather than dismissed. Certainly in my own personality is a lot of self dismissiveness. You know, it's easier to to you know, adopts a kind of self pejorative attitude, it's more comfortable that way. It's part of the it's a national characteristic or what. You always put yourself down. Uncomfortable to acknowledge has any virtue. <laughs> but uh, to remember that, because it is something that, like spaciousness, that has to be treasured. We don't, we don't use such a word normally. We call ourselves idiot, or not, not bad, or all right, or a bit of a what this, that, or the other. But actually recollecting oneself, one's nobility treasuring it and the nobility of others. We can see the ignoble, you know, but the precept keeper, the renunciant, the determined one, the committed one, the big the one who begins again, the one who makes efforts and so forth. Mm. This brings a quality of brightness into the heart. And it's not of worldly or nature. Connection is to do with something where you feel you fit, you feel snug, you feel in tune. Mm. I've talked, use the word alignment, today to referring to just connecting to one's body properly, and it just refer to that again because we can of course think that treat the body like you know I'm up in my head and there's this body under here so I pull it into shape knock it around a bit or you know whatever and this is um, I think fairly common attitude um, certainly in my my reckoning it's or even encourage a kind of careless attitude towards the body to take care of it is seen as a bit kind of narcissistic or effeminate in some way I ideally don't really care, chop a finger off and don't what and (laughs) actually um, a sense of so we can Adopt that attitude towards sitting. It's kind of dump it down, and and the, you know you just leave it somewhere where you can you can get on your head and do what you need to do, and just leave the body sitting there and poke some food into it now and then, and you know keep it going. Or then we perhaps a subtler effect of that is when you think, well, I'll sort the body out and get it to sit right. So we we'll just push those knees down and straighten that back up, and you know, and this is a little bit nearer the mark, but it's still acting like, I'm going to tell the body how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and really, the connection is trying to feel into the body, like the way we sit and how the bones rest, and where does it come into balance? So, yeah, we are sitting upright, but we're, we're finding out how the body sits upright, how the shoulders relax, how the chest opens, how does that happen? And it's very much like going into the body and inviting it to find its balance and giving it the time. Now, then, you know, even when we're working with that, the beauty of it is a sense of just really connecting to the body. It quietens your thinking mind down because you have to listen and feel into it. And there's something, when you really appreciate it, there's something quite beautiful just about handling you know, or listening into your body with a caring attention. In that in its own right, it doesn't feel that good on the 
sensation level, attitudinally, there's something uplifting or bright about that. Because everybody's body is going to have pain in it. And, you know, not to put too sharp a point, but some of these bodies just ain't going to make it, really. <laughs> as, as pleasure vehicles, or is even that comfortable? <laughs> If you've kind of neglected them for 40, 50 years, they're not suddenly going to spring up like that. <laughs> they're going to be a bit saggy and droopy and crumpled and bashed and bruised. But can you develop a connecting relationship to it? Right? Just how to feel in with some loving kindness and some sensitivity and receptivity. And... Uh, connecting to the heart the discomforts of the heart so we really listen there and rather than something that naturally wants to pull away just just leave me alone you know? leave me alone grumbling mind leave me alone miserable body leave me alone torn heart <laughs> you go somewhere I don't have to be with you uh, and so there's a middle way here, we're trying to find some way to, to get a reasonable degree of, of comfort. And prim- primarily I would suggest the, the, the place that can be most skillfully realised is in the heart. The body's not going to be that comfortable. Thinking isn't that great. But the heart, you know, you can get that. You know. And you get that by using it in the right way. Can, using it to empathize, to relate, to connect, to, to experience kindness, equanimity, joy, rejoicing in what's good. And we can do this internally, and we can do this externally. So one of the features of doing a retreat together is just a, you know, establishing a sense of connection which isn't really based upon you know, this one's my friend, this one's all right, and I'll get all right as long as she doesn't get too close, kind of thing. So you just get little forms of people, in particularly whose characteristics or characters we come along with, but we're getting more a sense of connection to an aspiration vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that our characters are so different, in a way, just says how big this aspiration vehicle is. I mean, you can get all these different monkeys on this same wagon. It's a big vehicle, and you could get a lot more, actually. But, you know, monkeys don't always play together that well. But, you know, so we look more towards the, the sense of, you know, the big vehicle that we're on. So, you know, in using these forms. Come sit here, get the sense of uh, connection to the aspiration vehicle, to the commitment vehicle, to the noble vehicle, um, where one's own personal um, sense impact is or mood impact is. Because it's always going to be, have that, these dissonant qualities to it. Um, but we're trying to provide a template of something you can begin to resonate with. Mm. Now, of course, we can, and all of us will, and do, spend time practicing on our own, which is fine, and there's many blessings and advantages to that also, not to deny that. <coughs> Still, we, even within that, we are connected to the training of the Buddha, the teachings and training of the Buddha, to the dispensation, to the arms that are given this monastery, to what supports it, and so on. So we're in that, and to remember that, to honour that, and to be grateful for that, to find contentment with that. I remember when, a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was out in the forest, practising on my own, and I was didn't come in, some of us didn't come in for several days in a row. So I you know 
refrain from eating and just use the water from the rain barrel to bathe in. Um, and even though I wasn't with anybody, actually, just sometimes sitting there just feeling this incredible sense of of um, appreciation of everybody, of the efforts that going to build this kuti, to clear this forest, to you know, to, to purchase these things, to you know, buy a wood burning stove, to cut wood, um, you know. All, all I could just sit there and enjoy it. You know, nobody's asking anything back. Just saying, here's a forest. You know, here's a view. Here's a kuti. Here's heat. You know, here's what do you, you know. And then feeling this incredible sense of connection to the nobility of so many hundreds, thousands of people. It's a very joyful recollection. So these are the kind of things that do bring refreshing and brightening tones into the heart. Internally, you say that same thing, connection comes when you begin to handle your meditation topic, come to terms with it, be patient with it, be spacious with it, get some clarity there, and you begin to find as you develop, rather than dominating it or forcing it or being intimidated by it, developing a relationship with your meditation topic so that you start to, you start to blend and you feel yourself, somehow the heart and the meditation topic become the same thing. It's like you're breathing your heart or whatever your meditation topic is. And the sense of joy suffuses the whole system. So this naturally leads to one-pointedness because the body energy, the heart energy and the thinking energy are all gathering together in the same place. So we can deal with these things, piecing them together individually. This is body, this is thinking mind, this is heart. None of them are to be neglected. You know, get this one, get that one, then start to gradually invite them to come together, to connect. Um, and as they do, then the details begin to subside. It's not, you don't have to carry a whole lot of information or complexities because those things begin to subside as you come into unity. So, for this for your cultivation, um, the spaciousness is also a matter of time, patience, um, volition to open, or spacious sense of volition. Mm. And then we have this, you know, future extending for us to cultivate.